Soul Talk is a podcast dedicated to making space for Latinx storytellers and content creators across all media to chat about their art, experiences, and culture. As a branch of the Soul Project, Soul Talk welcomes you to the green room. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Soul Talk. Happy December. This is December 2020, and wow, has time has flown by. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> my name is Joey Reyes. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am the associate producer at The Soul Project, and I'm here with... Hi, I'm David Mendezabel. I use he, him pronouns, and I am the associate artistic director of The Soul Project. Also, happy anniversary to us. It is yes. December 4th when... I, well, it, it's actually currently not December 4th as we're recording this, but as we are listening to this, as we're sharing it the world, it is December 4th, which is also the four-year year anniversary of the official launch of the Soul Project, which was our opening night of Alligator by Hilary Bettis with uh, our partner theater, New George's, and also coincided with the Latinx Theater Commons New York City convening, which was going on here. And it was also weeks after the 2016 election. <laughs> and it's wild to think about all that has happened in the last four years, especially as it relates to politics and our existence as this initiative that has been trying to, you know, create more expansive storytelling. And, you know, I think in this moment in 2020, even recognizing the limits that we have come come up against and you know our own our own internal growth that needs to to happen as we move forward so what a, what a what a moment of pause and reflection and and celebration that you know four years has gone by and we've we've accomplished so much and there's still yet so much more work to be done Absolutely. Yes. In honor of this anniversary, we are joined today by Hilary Batiste. Um, yes. And it's so exciting. It's so, so exciting. I'm just going to share a little bit of Hilary's biography here. Uh, she is a critically acclaimed playwright whose work has been developed and produced all over the country, including Roundabout Theatre Company, New George's, uh, with, in partnership with us, The Soul Project, Miami New Drama, Studio Theatre, Alley Theater, New York Theater Workshop, La Jolla Playhouse, amongst others. Uh, her accolades included the Edgerton Foundation New Play Awards, National Endowment for the Arts Grant, and a finalist for the Blackburn Prize, the Candera Award, I hope I'm saying that right, uh, Nuestras Voces, a National Playwriting Competition, American Blues Theater's Blue Ink Award, amongst others. Uh, in television, she's won the 2019 Writers Guild of America Award for her work on the critically acclaimed Golden Globe and Emmy-winning FX, FX series, The Americans. And she's written for the Hulu miniseries, The Dropout, starring Kate McKinnon, and Amazon's Rodeo Queen, starring Dakota Johnson and Fred Armisen. Uh, Armisen. She's an alumni of the Sundance Institute Episodic TV Lab and is developing projects for AMC, Hulu, and Patma. She's a graduate of the Juilliard School and a proud member of the Kilroys and WGA East. And today we are, you know, we're just going to jump right in and see how she's doing. There's, I mean, as David said, it's been four years since that initial uh, production that launched, that officially launched the Soul Project in its mission of uh, partnering with 12 uh, off-Broadway uh, and regional theaters and pairing them with uh, a, a playwright who identifies as Latinx and expanding uh, the 
narrative and opportunities out to uh, BIPOC, BIPOC artists. Um, so I'm really, really excited for y'all to hear what she has to say today because there's been a lot of change. <laughs> Yes, it's been, you know, an exciting four years. And I think, you know, uh, uh, Hillary's play 72 Miles to Go, which uh, uh, unfortunately had to be canceled as many pieces did due to the pandemic, but was um, having its world premiere at the Laura Pels Theater with Roundabout Theater, which is a really exciting, um, you know, and a really exciting trajectory for a writer in the last four years to have had her her first big New York City production and then to have that moment and, you know, unfortunately closed, but I think um, so much has been going on and I know that she's a writer that has so many more projects. So it's gonna be really exciting to catch up. It's been a while since we've talked with Hillary um, and to see what she's up to and, and what she wants to see for the future. Yes, so stick with us and we will be right back with Hillary Batiste. Hello, Hillary, and welcome to Soul Talk. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, of course. Um, we are so excited to have you here for our, what we realize is our anniversary episode. You know, it's been, um, this episode is airing on December 4th. So it is four years to the date that we launched Soul Project officially with the opening night of your play, Alligator with New Georges. So it's so exciting. What a wild four years it's been. Wild, <laughs> wild, because like, the election happened during rehearsal. Right? Yeah. It's so, I, I keep thinking about that because the, the you know, Jacob, Rebecca Martinez and I were also um, uh, spearheading or, or what's it called? Um, championing the LTC, the Latinx Theater yeah, Commons yeah. convening. So it was yeah. like the convening was happening, um, uh, Alligator was happening and then the whole world shifted. Yeah. And it's wild to think that the last four years of Soul Project this is the environment we've been in and just, you know, launching with you and seeing what a glow up your career has happened. And also like, so, you know, kind of poetic and in a horribly sad way that, you know, 72 miles to go just opened right before the world shut down. Yeah. Um, and that's just such a bummer, um, but <laughs> you know, all of that's to say, I think the first question we've been starting with everyone is like, how are you doing? How has this time been? And like, how have you been finding moments of joy? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's such a good question. How, I mean, it, it's been a hard year. I'm sure everybody is saying that. And I uh, am certainly no exception. I, you know, I thought, going in, I was like, 2020 is going to be like the best year ever. Like I'm going to have this production, this off-Broadway production at Roundabout. This is like such a dream come true. Like I'm pregnant. I'm going to have a baby this year. It's going to be so beautiful. Like family's going to be here and friends and yada, yada, yada. And then it's, I mean, I sort of feel like in January, I was like, oh, it's going to come. The coronavirus is going to come to me. It's going to happen. It's like a matter of time. Yeah. And of course it did. And the show shut down. And then I, you know, had a baby during uh, sort of the height of everything happening in New York. And that was crazy, overwhelming. And like, you know, like Bobby, my husband couldn't go to the, uh, he couldn't go to doctor's visits with me. Like wow. we didn't know if like oh, I was going to have to give birth alone because like all of the hospitals in New York were like partners are no longer allowed. 
And so we were like petitioning and we were calling, you know, Como and trying to get that changed. And um, at the last minute they did allow partners, which thank God, but like other women had to give birth during like, like completely alone, which I have no idea wow. like how traumatizing that would have been. But, mm. you know, I mean, it was still a lot our, like our baby was in the NICU and we couldn't go in together. So like we weren't even together as a family until like almost two weeks after he was born. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And so it's just been like, it's been crazy, but I, you know, through it all, I think this year has really put a lot in perspective, both in terms of like, what is really important to me as a human being as, you know, like, what are my real values and not just like, performative, like social media, easy to post and then be like, okay, cool, I did it. And, you know, go live your life. Like what is really, truly important? And how do you honor that and be true to that when nobody is looking? And I think that's sort of been the big thing that I've been wrestling with both personally and privately and like in terms of the kind of work that I want to do as a, as an artist. Um, you know, I, immigration is certainly like, I believe like, one of the biggest human rights issues of this generation, both the treatment of undocumented people in our country and what is happening to the asylum seekers on our border, mm -hmm. which is horrific, Yeah, you know? And so I, I've really been grappling with like, how can I, how can I be more active? How can I, you know, not just write about it and donate money, but like, is there things I can do on the ground? Is there like volunteer work I can do? Is there like, you know, ways that I can like, you know, be more of an activist and, and, and how do I vote and how do I like support like local elections that are like on the ground in terms of like dealing with this issue. And, you know, and I think it's really also become like the only subject I feel like I can talk about, you know, yeah. because it's not going to change with one play. It's not going to change with 20 plays. It's not going to change with one movie. And it's like, you just have to counter that narrative that's out there. So I, mm -hmm. I feel like I've like really made even more of a commitment to, you know, writing and talking and speaking about this particular subject, like no matter what. And, you know, one of the things that I also want to do as soon as the virus is, is let up is, is actually like go to the border and volunteer and do humanitarian work and um work with organizations like no mas muertes that like actually goes out in the desert and and rescues people and helps people get legal aid and so anyway you know and it's also like becoming a mother and you're just like what kind of world do you want to like pay forward to your child like what kind of values do you want to teach them you know and that comes from like action and not what you say yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I yeah, I, all of that. There's so much there that I just think is, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, but, but it is no, in a, in a wild way, like I feel the same way as you in the sense of like this idea of 2020, it was like 2020, it's going to be the year I'm turning yeah. 35. This is it, yeah. you know? And while it doesn't look like what I think we all thought it was going to look like, there's something about this moment, this pause, this ability to actually reflect and as you said so beautifully like really align with your values yeah. and your lived values not yeah. just you know the performative wokeness that we see all over yeah. social media but yeah and I love that yeah you know of course you know becoming a mother you know like really like what's important to you what's important for 
for the world you want for your children because it's it's not like I think like you said it's not the play is not going to do it the 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 movie's not going to do it you know but yeah. it's it's all of those seeds that we can plant to combat yeah. a narrative yeah yeah I love that and I just I mean it makes me think so much about your play 72 miles to go that that really was in was dealing and it's set in 2016 right or it starts in 2008 so oh wow yeah yeah. Yeah. So it's set in like the four years prior to the four years yeah. that we just experienced. And the fact that it was here, you know, in 2020, like, I think yeah. it's really asking us to, to look at the trajectory of policy, to look at the trajectory of policy through people, yeah. you know, um, which I think is really beautiful and so important, you know, is, is that like, like you're saying, you know, it's, it's, it's about the action that you can do and, and getting involved. So yeah, really this yeah. sort of poetic circle that's happening with your work and yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. And I think like in terms of what brings joy right now, I, I think it's also just like that the little everyday things that sort of like, you know, I think it's so easy in this very competitive, you know, industry that we all find ourselves in to get caught up just get caught up in it, get caught up in the politics, get caught up in the accolades, get caught up in the like, who has what and, and how do I get mine and you know, all of that stuff. And, and, I, and you, it's just so easy to lose sight of like, why you do this work in the first place and the human connection and like the small human connections and like, you know, just like being with my family, like, you know, walking down the street and like, enjoying nature and listening to the birds and and just like being really grounded again and and living in the unexpected you know because like we don't know when this is going to end and even after the vaccine comes out like theater is probably going to be one of the last things to come back and yeah. who knows what it's going to look like when it comes back I mean it's gonna I think it's just like such a seismic shift that's going to happen and for for better I think maybe in the long run for sure yeah. You know? I, I mean, I think we're all having a, a great reckoning right now in terms of representation and, you know, race and privilege and who gets to tell what stories. And, and I think it's a hard conversation, but an important conversation that we're all having. But yeah, no, and I love, you know, I, I know that you've been incredibly active in these conversations around um, representation, you know, with your work with the Kilroys and, and you know, your work with us in, in Soul Project, you know, and I'm curious, and this is probably like a, a, a big question, but like, I agree, I think this seismic shift is, um, I believe, going to bring about a massive change in our field, and I'm hopeful for what that is, and I'm curious, yeah in your, in your, in the new paradigm that you're dreaming up, what do you imagine for the theater? What do you imagine we need to, to happen? I think it's a lot of things. I think that we need more, I, you know, I think that we need more theaters to be willing to take more risks on like emerging directors of color and, you know, not just a playwright of color, but also the director. And like, it has to come mm -hmm. as a package. I think that's yeah. really important. Um, I think that having more cultural awareness within institutions is really, really vital because like, you know, I, like I've had 
a multitude of productions of many, many plays all over the US. I've worked with big theaters and small theaters. And, and I think oftentimes like the marketing and the producing and the design and all of these other things are sort of like separate entities mm -hmm. that you're not really in conversation with. And there's a lot of just assumptions made and, and suddenly you find that like the way you're plays being marketed is so counter to like the story or counter to the culture or counter to like the authenticity. And then that the audience is coming with those expectations already. Yeah. And it's like already the work like is not gonna get a fair shot because it's coming with those expectations. So I think like, you know, how do you have, how do you have like the writer, the director in conversation with all of these elements? How do you have like, a, a cultural ambassador. I mean, something that I, you know, have been in conversation with with Roundabout, and I think they're actually really excited about is like, how do we bring in cultural ambassadors? How do we bring in somebody that can sort of be the person that can help streamline all of that and also be like, hey, this is a you know great idea or great intention, but actually like you know, it might accidentally be saying this or that or undermining this. And, mm -hmm. you know, just how do we do it so that like you as the writer or you as the director don't have to fight 20 gazillion different battles. And then you're so busy fighting all of these other battles that like you, you're not present in the, the, the process. And I think that it, this is sort of something that I have bumped up against pretty consistently in the production process to like no fault of anybody at all. Totally. But I think that it's like, it's just a lack of, of understanding. And, you know, so I think there's that. I think we need more producers of color. I think we need, I think we also need to like, we need to have a more nuanced conversation about BIPOC creators because we're not the same. We don't mm -hmm. have the same stories. We can't be lumped into like, there's the white folks and then there's everybody else because it's, much more complicated. Like the black experience is very different from the Latinx experience. My experience as like, you know, Chicana is very different than Puerto Rican. It's very different than Dominican, you know? And like, we can't, and it's it's unfair because then it sort of pits us against each other. Totally. And, it, it, and, it, and I think it reduces our individual nuanced complex stories into like issues for an entire community of people. And then you have to carry that on your shoulders as opposed to being like, say Will Eno, who can just like write about the world that Will Eno knows and nobody <laughs> questions that. No one's like, you have to speak for all, every white male that has ever existed. So it's like, I, I just think it's like, and, and I don't know what like a specific concrete thing is. I do think it's like, we need to have these conversations. We need to like, and we also need to do it in a way that is compassionate in a way that is, teachable because I think that like shaming and public shame and cancel culture is also another form of fear and 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 silencing and yeah. and I think it actually like alienates the well-meaning people that like we want to bring together so you know I but I think it's going to be a slow a sl it's going to be slow and it's gonna you know I, I think it's going to require a lot of a lot of patience, which is going to be hard too, you know? I think you're, I think you're speaking to largely and on all these nuances, um, accountability is such an important piece of, of like, 
of, of our process uh, to each other, to, to ourselves. Um, you know, you're even speaking to how, and, I, and I've, I'm sharing this, this similar experience over the last few months where, because I don't have the distractions of the world of me going in and out of my home and going yeah. into the city and coming back home to Connecticut and moving here and there, that I get to sit with myself and do the internal work of realizing like, what are my actual values and what am I living out and how am I yeah. applying that to my work? Um, and you even mentioned to um, these, uh, I'll call them cultural competency, like consultants, right? When it comes to producing the work of, of um, a BIPOC playwright, uh, for lack of a better term, I know BIPOC is sort of a fluctuating yeah. use right now. Um, but you reminded me of uh, Luis Alfaro's uh, comments when he had this conversation with Dominique Morso last month at uh, Long Wharf Theater's Artistic Congress, where he mentioned um, when he would go and get and and work with a theater company, he would go and directly talk to the box office folks, yeah. um, the marketing team, and the people who do audience development, because he wanted to make sure that he was able to hold them accountable with the way that his play was being put out into the community and how it was being sold and and yeah. marketed to people and like how are they really cultivating the audience that he really wants to come yeah. and that's you know and that's just out of the kindness of his heart I don't I'm assuming um and it's probably very likely that he's not getting paid additional fees for essentially being that yeah. competency consultant yeah. um so I think you know I'm I'm appreciative of what what we're calling out here is that accountability and yeah. and that investment the actual fiscal investment when you know planning a, a season a, a season-long budget yeah. um of saying we're going to put money into the pockets of these people who are yeah. of the community and then we can actually say that we are like an organization that is of by and for our community yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It also seems like you're really sort of calling for like a centering of the artist, you know? Yeah. It's like the artist and the artist's vision in mm -hmm. all of it, yeah. you know? And and mm -hmm. I feel very similarly too, where like, you know, I'll be working on a show and then all of a sudden I'm like, that's not the play I'm directing. You know, you see the marketing materials or you see <laughs> the way people are talking about it. Yeah. And you're like, that A, it looks nothing like the aesthetic of the world yeah. that we're building. And like, how are we really, I think, bringing all those conversations together and not siloing them so we can, and I love what you said, you're setting up an expectation of the work that then puts the, the work at a disadvantage. Because right. in a way then the audience is like, Right. This isn't what I came to see. And it's like, well, no one was making that. So right. I don't know why anyone's right. telling you that's what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Okay. It's like, yeah, it's like, you're like, that's actually not, it's like ordering yeah. food and having like the, the wrong picture displayed. And you're like, but I ordered this. It's like, well, it never looked like that. So right. I don't know what you thought you were ordering. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. I think it's exactly right. And, I, you know, and, and I think we also like, we also need, critics of color like absolutely that i yeah. think that's a huge mm -hmm. huge albatross in the careers of bipoc creators absolutely it's just you know i mean everybody bases the value of the work on the opinions of critics the theaters absolutely. and the audience and the grant makers and you know everybody does and so like when you have people that just don't 
but have so many blind spots that are, are, are expecting a certain kind of aesthetic because that's what they deem as good. And you are not that because that is not the culture on the world and the people that you are putting on stage. It's, yeah, it's right. you know. Or people who will just pay attention to the work and meet the work as is and not yeah. focus on like, I mean, I, there was a, there was something in your in the review for 72 miles to go, which I was just like, this is irrelevant. Like people's <laughs> relationships to other people are actually irrelevant into the work. So like, why are you talking about this? Do you know, um, not to go into too many details, but I was just I like, why are you talking about? Like, that's so irrelevant. And it actually has nothing to do with uh, how people are taking in the play and what the yeah. play is, is, is talking about. So I agree, yeah. it's like, how are, how are you willing to, to meet the work and, and challenge yourself outside of your own comfort zone, outside yeah. of your own limited imagination yeah. and really, again, center the artist, center yeah. their vision, see what they're trying to achieve yeah. and, and, and have a conversation with, this is what they're trying to achieve and what we see, you know, that's, that's that work, but yeah. we don't, we don't get that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, a thousand, a thousand percent. And it's like, I, I don't know. I'm also at the point in my career where I am just like, I just want to make the kind of work I want to make with nobody else putting their spin on it or, yeah. you know, because I feel like the, the ideas that I've had, whether it's like in TV or it's, it's in theater, the vision that I've had in, a, in the thing that I'm creating ends up often getting lost in the production. Absolutely. Absolutely. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's almost like, um, and I think to what you were saying about also like bringing in like producers of color and, yeah. and I don't always believe, actually, no, I don't believe that just because it's a person of color, it changes the system. A thousand, you know? percent. A thousand it's, percent. It's not, do you yeah. know? And I think, you know, but it's, yeah, it's like, how are we reimagining the systems in which we're working and even yeah. reimagining the idea of like what it means to be a producer. Um, yeah. I know that that's some, that, that it's a title that I'm recently getting comfortable. I have been producing for the last 16 years of my life, but only in recent years have I been like, oh, I, I, it's a title that I wear because I think for so long I had this idea of what it looked like. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that, that it doesn't look like what I do, do yeah. you know? Um, yeah. And yet I think that's the, you know, and we're seeing it, we're seeing, and it, and it is, it's, 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 there are producers of color and, and non-producers of color who are bringing in new models, new ways of yeah. thinking about it. And I think to that point, really thinking about how we're centering an artist's vision, how yeah. we're thinking from a place of abundance instead of scarcity and, you know, really yeah. um, not being, uh, and I think to, to the point you said, you know, it's like working at bigger theaters, smaller theaters, at a certain point, the resources help, but they're not the make be all end all. They're, they're do you know? I, I've had amazing experiences that are like, oh my God, this is it with like a bare bones, like a couple of props, if that like you know, actors reading from the scripts. Right. You know, and, and, and then, you know, productions that are fully realized that you're like, that is so far from, from 
from my play. It's just yeah. not and it's yeah. hard. <laughs> it's, hard it's like you threw a lot of money at something. I don't know what it is, but yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 You know, I'm curious also because I know that in the last four years and even before then, you've had a really wonderful career also in television. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, have been sort of balancing that back and forth between, um, you know, theater and then TV. Um, and I know a lot of artists, especially now, you know, now in this sort of Zoom world where yeah. everyone is kind of a hybrid artist in this like yeah. weird way. <laughs> like I know I was like directing like a film stage reading and I was like, this is so weird. I'm making storyboards and like, what is this? You know, yeah, yeah. but I'm curious, like in your experience, are there parallels or are there, um, like what are the parallels to working in TV versus theater? What are the, 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 the pluses and minuses, yeah. you know, as it relates to really how the artist and the writer is supported? Yeah, I mean, I love, well, I think the biggest plus for TV is you make a lot of money. Money. <laughs> you know, you can actually make a real living <laughs> and get health insurance. And, you know, I mean, I love theater and I love being a playwright. And I will always see myself as a playwright first and TV writer, screenwriter, whatever other kinds of writing like second. Um, I think TV for me was sort of a very like, you know, it's sort of funny because I went into TV being like, I'm tired of being broke. I'm tired of like bartending till 7 a.m. I just like, I can't do this anymore. I'm not like 22, you know, it's not, this is not a glamorous lifestyle anymore. And so I was like very pragmatic <laughs> about TV, but also was like, I will not ever lose sleep over TV. And I like, I never have. And I think going into that, it with that mentality has sort of like, ironically, like given, you know, give me this really good career because I just like walk into interviews and I'm like, this is who I am. This is what you're going to get. Take it or leave it. I feel like theater. I'm just like, oh, it's so precious that like, and I've lost so much sleep over theater that I, I, I sometimes wonder if it's, you know, if it's a little bit of a, like a, a detriment to mm. my career in some ways. Um, this is like stuff that I've been wrestling with, but, um, but I, I think, you know, I mean, first of all, like in TV, there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, like, you know, if in a writer's room, I'm, I'm actually on a show right now. And like, it's very collaborative. And I think that's really wonderful. And that's sort of very similar to theater, but also like, it's not really your vision. It's not really even the showrunner's vision. Like, unless you're like, you have like 20 Emmys, then and yeah. sort of like, go with God, do what you want to do. But there's just so many like notes and notes and notes and notes and executives and producers and studios and networks and you know and that that can be a frustrating process I yeah. feel like in theater you have you have more freedom but it's also tricky because I think like the director playwright director relationship in theater is a very complicated dance yeah I feel like I'm still figuring out and um you know because you the only way that works is to have a shared vision like mm -hmm. you both have to be on the same page about what the vision of it is if you each have a different vision of it it's not it's not going to work and I have been in many a process where I had an idea of the play and the director had a different idea of the play and you you just sort of have a hybrid of a weird thing that's like not completely 
one vision or another. And I think the play never works in those circumstances, no matter how good the script is yeah. or how great an individual director or an individual playwright is, like it just gets lost. But, you know, I, I think in terms of like the, like the right, like the Zoom thing is very weird because so it's- So weird. <laughs> Like TV is great because it's TV. Like you're not, theater is never gonna be TV. It's just not like you're, you're writing for the camera. You're writing for edit, the editing process. You're writing for, you know, for, you're writing very cinematically. You, you're writing in images and symbols that will tell a story with very little dialogue. Theater, you can't do that. Theater is all about what people are doing on a stage. It's all about the relationships between people on a stage and how they move physically and and how they communicate with each other and how they react with each other. And like, what are they saying? And then what is the subtext of what they're saying? And that is super boring to watch on a screen and it's mesmerizing in real life, yeah. you know? And so it's like, I, I know that we're all like grappling with like, how do we stay alive? And I know that like, I have a lot of empathy for where theaters are right now, just in terms of like trying to pay their people and keep the doors open, you know, and, and, and be able to have, to be able to come back and not go bankrupt. And, you know, and I don't think any of us want to mm. lose our theaters, whether, you know, no matter what this like- sort Some of, of them could go. Some, some of them, them could go. Some of, them, <laughs> <laughs> some of the, the individuals can go. Like, I think- yeah. We need like a seismic shift within <laughs> them, but like in terms of like having them, you know, like I think it's it's a it's a fine line, but yeah, but, you know. Um, so I totally get this. Like, how do we like do Zoom plays? But yeah, no, mm -hmm. I don't know what that is. Yeah, you know, I love I and and I love how honest you are about talking about the struggle of. Um, collaborative relationships and yeah. I think you know and it's a real thing you know I, I teach I teach first year um like a, a class called first year making theater at Playwrights Horizons and they all want to learn how to be a director and I'm like I don't actually think I know how to teach you that outside yeah. of the fundamentals of collaboration and leadership yeah. you know and I think what's exciting is that they're learning both playwriting and directing from this perspective. And I'm curious as someone who has navigated so many different relationships, and I think all of them you learn from, whether, 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 it, whether you know, it looks like what you wanted to look like or not, but I'm curious in your experience of navigating different relationships, what are some of the fundamental um, things required for you you know you mentioned yeah. shared vision but what else i i mean you it has to be two people that listen really listen to each other and really ask questions i think oftentimes a playwright because you've like lived with this thing for so long and you have an idea about what it looks like in your head because like in order to write it, you have to see it, you know, like whether it translates and works or not is a different conversation, but you have a very specific sort of vision for what it looks like. And I think oftentimes a director will read a play and because of the way their director brain works, they will have an immediate vision for what it looks like. And so it's like two people from like the first coffee meeting are like have different ideas in their head already about what the thing is. 
Yeah. And I think it's like having to take a deep breath, let some of that go, like without ego, without anything being precious and just like talk and listen and ask questions, really ask questions and really like build a new, a vision together that that's a common ground that comes from asking a lot of questions. And, and, and I think it's really hard for, it's hard for both playwrights and directors because when you're in it, when you're in production, there's like a ticking clock. There's oh, a ticking yeah. clock and there's so much pressure. And I think in particular, there's a lot of pressure on directors, you know? And so I think oftentimes like you can sort of have these beautiful creative conversations and like a workshop process or a reading process where nothing is really that important. Um, and then when you are in the production, you're like, fuck, this is gonna get reviewed. Like my career's on the line. Like all of these people are coming at me. Like I have to like be super decisive. And suddenly like there's no room for that, that to really listen to each other. And I think oftentimes it's that process that things get lost and yeah. things, you know. Um, so I think, I think it's that, I think it's like, this is so much easier said than done, but I think it's, it's, it's really like trying to keep your ego in check, yeah. which is so hard. It's so hard when like your work is on the line. It's really, really hard, you know? And I think it's like a lot of just like internal check-ins, like, you know, am I fighting this battle because it's coming from my ego or am I fighting this battle because it's like deeply important to the story and the nuance of the story and you know and then how do I like have these conversations in a constructive way um yeah. but it, it's you know it's 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 like an ongoing thing for me as well I feel like I you know I've worked with so many amazing directors and I everybody is different and I've learned so much from everybody and I feel like every play is also different and like yeah. what you know one director is great with they might not be right for the next thing. And so it's just like this constant ongoing, you know, and I think I'm also doing a lot of soul searching in terms of like working with like, you know, finding more like Latinx directors specifically. And like, how do I, you know, find somebody that like understands the culture of the world and like, how do, you know, and also how do I like advocate for those relationships? Cause I think I'm at a different place in my career now where I can start to like, push and advocate a little more than like even a few years ago you know totally totally and I think you know what's interesting in hearing you talk about this is so much of the pressure would be different if the environment yes you know and I think it goes back to like the structure the systems yeah. you know like if you weren't Obviously there's always gonna be a pressure cooker. Time is a construct, but we're always operating within yeah. it in the field, you know, but if there was a, a culture with which the artist's vision was really centered yeah. and you didn't yeah. always feel like every single day was a fight, it yeah. would make a different relationship. So I think what, what, what really jumps out in hearing you say is it's like, yeah, it's like, it's listening and it's, you know, part of, part of those moments where that ego comes in is feeling like, not heard, you know, yeah. and not only yeah. maybe by your collaborator, but by the, the structure with yeah. which you're, you're being produced inside of too. Yeah. And there, there's like, you are not allowed to fail as like women, as BIPOC creators, you just, you're not allowed to fail in the way that like, you know, the, 
the 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 white male writers are allowed to fail. They can yeah. have a play that's a total flop, and everybody still mm -hmm. loves them. And it's like, let's do the next, you know, next season. We'll do like five more plays of them. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> I can think of like five people off the top of my head. Yes. <laughs> they're all like lovely people whom I I you know, love and adore and know personally, and they're great, but you're just not afforded that. It's like when you go into production, you are, it's not just your particular story and your particular vision. It's the weight of an entire group of people on your shoulders. And if, if, if it is not a, a New York Times critics pick, like rave review, like wins, like all the awards, then like, a, will you ever get produced again? And B, not only will, will you ever get produced again, but will any other person, like any other writer of color that yeah. comes from the same background as you, will they get produced again? Yeah. It's like you can be like that one particular, you know, I love Lucas Nath, like, but that one particular Lucas Nath play like didn't work, but he's still great and we love him, you know? But it's like, and nobody thinks like, oh, all white men can't make plays because this one particular play of, Lucas names didn't work. Right. But you, you, it's just like so much more pressure. And I think that, you know, BIPOC directors and, and female directors are carrying that weight as well. And so when you have like these two people going into this process, this high stakes, like deeply emotional, fast paced, all the shit coming at you, a lot of like, having to choose your battles because you know again like a will you know or josh Harmon or whatever lucas nath like can go into a big theater and everybody looks like them right. everybody has the same shared background so everybody like has the same automatic you know subconscious assumptions and like the work is just better because they don't have to pick the same battles that you have to pick yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and i think that reality that you articulated so wonderfully and, and so specifically is felt by so many artists that yeah. and it, again it goes to like operating in a system that just continues to perpetuate this idea of scarcity you know yeah. and 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 yeah you know the pressure i remember doing my first show um directing my first big show and that feeling of like we cannot fail but yeah. what does failure actually look like it's do you know and that's the thing is like you can't grow and get better and and really hone your craft and become great at your craft if you don't have the opportunity to like sometimes yeah. fuck up you yeah know? And, it's, and it's yeah because, it's it yeah good oh no i was just gonna say it's like you you I think it's such a narrow, you're right. Like what does failure even look like? I think it's such a, we have such a narrow definition of what a successful yeah. play is. And it's like, it has to get amazing reviews. If it gets even one like mixed review, the, the play's dead, you yeah. know? And yeah. it has to be nominated for awards. Yeah. And, like, and even there, you know, I, it's this interesting dilemma, you know, that, that I found myself in with a show where it was like, it was not necessarily, you know, the one important critic, it was not well-reviewed. He also got fired a week later, Karma's a bitch, you know, yeah. and then, but the ticket sales and the audience that was brought in and the new 
the first time single ticket buyer numbers were higher than they had ever seen. And so it's like, what makes it the, the, the success or the failure? You know, the fact that you actually brought in this audience, this brand new audience, yeah. massive brand new audience, or the fact that one white dude just didn't get it, you know? It's so true. I mean, it yeah. was like, you know, like with 72 miles, like, look, and there, you know, I think that there were lots of things that we still sort of didn't figure out in the, yeah. the preview process. And I'm really heartbroken that we only got a preview process because they, there were so many changes that were still happening. Yeah. Um, and that poor cast was just like put through this ring. Like literally I was like bringing in like massive changes every day. Like every night they were going up with entirely new scenes that like wow. they had just barely memorized. And so I feel like they didn't really get the opportunity to like find the play, but um um, you know, like through that process, it was like every single night, every, almost every single night without exception, people of color standing ovation, white people sitting every yeah. single night with that play. And it was really, you know, and that was like a similar experience at that, you know, when we did a workshop production at Ali as well. And it was just like such an eye-opening experience that like, we are not, we are not having the same you know, we do not see a play in the same way. And like, yeah. what does that mean? And you want to cultivate these, these audiences. And yet, like, you're only listening to the people that are speaking to your subscriber audience. Yeah. And I think that that so much of that goes to this idea of like, who is the audience and, and back to what you're saying, who's the audience that you're actually marketing to versus the audience that the artist wants to speak to. And if yeah. we really centered the artist, and what their vision was, how much more full and rich could the work be? Yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah. Um, this has been such a lovely and yeah. and rich <laughs> and and just, yeah, it's such an exciting conversation. And I, you know, I just really wanna uplift so much of your, your, your visioning for the future because it's so, it's, it's what we hear from so many artists who are working in the field is that mm -hmm. that ability to fail, that, yeah. that ability to be wholly themselves and yeah. not have to fight to prove their truth, you yeah. know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And it's actually not hard. I think it goes back to what you're saying. It's like, it's really just listening, you know, and, yeah. and, and listening and examining the structures you know, so I look forward to, um, I look forward to the future. Uh, uh, I look forward to a future of this field that looks more like what you've described. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and I think, you know, we all have, we all have work to do. And so like for those folks listening who are in positions of power, you know, this is a moment to listen and to examine and to reflect. Um, and for those artists who have felt alone to realize that um, you, you, we, we are not alone, you know, in, in this yeah. sort of struggle. And yeah. You're not, you're not mm -hmm. crazy and you're not difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Oof. I hate that word. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's so, it's so, it's so coded. It's so coded <laughs> and it's so unfair because the system is automatically set up in a way that like forces you to have to pick more battles than like yeah. some of your counterparts out there. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I know you mentioned uh, uh, that you're working in a writer's room. 
Um, are there any, is there any other work that you have going on that you can plug or that you're sort of, you know, I actually saw your show Grand Army, which I really loved. Oh, I know that you, I, I did. I, I actually really liked it. Uh, my partner and I, we were like, this is so sad. Uh, but I know you and Ming and Ben, uh, right? Yeah, we're working on that. And yeah. that was exciting. A lot of writers. Uh, I know there was other story in there, but what else? What else is out? Story, other story. Um, yeah, well, so I, I'm working on a show right now called uh, Rodeo Queens. It's like really, really fun. It's a comedy. Fred Armisen is in it, Dakota Johnson. It's like the loveliest group of writers that, you know, I. it's just such a wonderful group of people. And it's like, you know, like my, I grew up riding horses and I grew up like in, you know, the country. And so it's like this other sort of like lived life experience I, I have that I'm really excited about. Um, so I have that, I, I have a couple of development things. I have a thing at um, Hulu and I have a thing at AMC and and some other things that haven't been announced yet. And yeah. we'll get yelled at if I say them. I did actually <laughs> got, got yelled at. <laughs> You're like those NDAs, right? You're like, ooh. <laughs> um, and then, um, yeah, and then I'm, I'm in conversation with uh, Sergio Trujillo right now about, um, and, and Michelle Rodriguez about uh, uh, potentially writing a musical. Amazing. Which is really exciting. I've never written a musical before, but like something that I've always wanted to do. And then, you know, have the commission at Roundabout, which who knows when I will <laughs> be able to start to work on that. Hopefully, Joe <laughs> listening to this because like Hillary but yeah you know but I think that the thing that I'm really like what I really want to do in 2021 is like carve out a time to just like write my own stuff that that yeah. isn't you know having mm. other people's expectations already attached to it or like a story that somebody else brought me and I'm really excited about all of these things that I'm working on and I'm really passionate about them but like I'm just like yearning to like write a play that is just like yeah my play you know? yours yeah yeah well I look forward to that I look forward to to hearing about it and reading it when it does happen yes. and yeah. you know so I mean, excited for this glow up the soul will be like you know is such a, a artistic home for me and and I just am like Jacob and you guys I mean I just Jacob is just like a hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, no, well, we're so excited. We are so happy for all of the amazing television stuff that you do and that you consider yourself a theater artist first, you know. Uh, <laughs> that's like always exciting. It's like, we, you know, this fear that we'll, we'll lose them to the, the other side. But, um, but yeah, no, excited to have that balance. And, um, and uh, for your, for, you know, for 2021 to come fast. But yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much That's for being fun. here with us. My pleasure. It's so wonderful to see your beautiful faces. <laughs> All right. And for our listeners, um, you can follow Hillary through her website, which we will have a link in the show description. And are you on, you're on social media as well, yes? I am on Instagram. I just got a Facebook because I was like, Facebook is the devil and it's, it's <laughs> so I, I got off it, which was 
hard, but I did it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. So we'll we'll um we'll link your Instagram in the show description as well, so people can keep in touch with you there. Perfect. Um, amazing. Thank you so much. Of course, my pleasure. And and we, David, we will like do things together. I, yes. I, I so love like <laughs> you know the few things that we have done, and and you know I can't wait to do more. Love it. All right, bye. Bye. Welcome back, everyone. We have just finished up our conversation with Hilary Bethis, uh, Soul Project's first writer, our inaugural writer of our 12 playwrights. And what of an invigorating conversation. Yeah, it was really exciting just to reflect back also on the last four years, you know, where we were, where we have been politically, where the Soul Project started, and to really sort of look at, you know, one writer who has gone on to do so much incredible work in the theater and in TV and film, hmm. and to, to think about this sort of crossroads that we're at for the field, you know, this sort of moment of pause and mm -hmm. this moment of possibility that we're looking ahead into and to think, okay, these were the last four years and like, what's next? So it, I don't, yeah, it was really, really just an invigorating conversation and to hear from a writer, you know, um, what they want to see for the field and how they, how they feel, what they feel artists need, you know? Absolutely. The common thread I think in a lot of our conversations that we've been having even off the podcast um, I think in in our similar circles that we run is beginning to center around artists which in retrospect seemed like the most obvious thing that we should have been doing already but that just hasn't been the case and I think now we're you know we're starting to see that become put more into practice and people are sort of like I think some people are surprised at the results. Um, so good for them. Um, and then there's there's other folks that have, that have that are sitting around saying, "Well, we've been we've been here and we've been saying this for a very long time." <laughs> um, it just so happens that now is the moment that that it's uh, making that shift. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have been like, "But we have been centering artists, right?" You know, look at all the artists that we're putting forward, and it's like, yeah, when you put them forward but you don't listen to them and I thought that was you know even in talking about collaboration it's like how are you listening to them how are you marketing the work how are you really setting the work up for success in a relationship with the with the audience that you have and expanding who that audience is through more authentic storytelling in in that visual narrative in the way that you're talking about the work in the mm -hmm. way that you're really honoring that artist's vision, especially when they're, you know, non-white and they're bringing in a story that is not at the center of your staff and at the center of your audience, current audience base, you know, it's like, how are you really setting that work up to be received in its most whole and authentic set, uh, self, you know? And I, I do think that that really comes from like, centering that vision and understanding you know and I loved I loved what Hillary said about you know bringing in cultural competency um and and I you know we've seen that that's something that we advocate for at Soul Project we see that as a a, a prime tenant in the we see you what demands you know and this idea of like how are we really um not asking our artists to bend themselves and their vision to satisfy 
the 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 white patrons but rather really allow them to be authentic and whole and challenge our audience and grow our audience in ways that um feel more exciting for what we're doing so exactly and i and i love too that like we're we're really starting to get into the nitty-gritty and like nitpicking of looking at leadership and at like policies and at structures of institutions as well, because it's not enough to just start putting people of color on stage or making them your playwriters or directors. You know, it, you have to you have to start expanding that circle, that bubble, and building that that new narrative. Things like um, the the industry standard group that was just created or just launched recently. And it's a collective of eight BIPOC commercial theater producers that have come together to create the first ever like solely like multi-ethnic, multi-racial collective um, that focuses on producing diverse theater in, in the Broadway world. Yeah. And I think to Hillary's point, you know, that we were talking about too, is that, you know, that is a step. The step is to put um, more BIPOC leadership. And then the step beyond is like, that's not always the answer. You know, it is about examining the systems and really reimagining the systems that we're all operating in um, and the ways in which even those systems were, are, are, not equitable and not really serving the artists, you know? So it's like, it's not only um, sort of BIPOC leadership and BIPOC producers, but um, innovation in those systems and structures, you know? And, and we are seeing that pop up more and more, I, I, I believe, you know, but uh, how much more exciting will we be as a field if we can really sort of push that um, forward? Absolutely. and And, honoring the nuances in people's lived experiences and their humanity, right? The whole, the, we continue to challenge the narrative that the black experience is a monolith, that the Latinx experience is a monolith. It clearly is not. And even looking at the results of the election too, it very clearly is not, like not all Latinx people are going to, to share the same uh, values. Um, and we, we see those results. Um, very plainly and the data that that gets shared with us yeah just just wanting to to make sure that we're honoring every individual's lived experience and not stereotyping them and the complexity of it and i think it you know it continues to say moving beyond this sort of scarcity mentality into abundance and really um honoring and uplifting the abundance of stories that are there and you know i i i love that hillary pointed out like you know a, a, providing providing safe space for um, creative failure, you know, and that reality that like, you know, as BIPOC artists, it's like, you're not given that, you're not afforded that ability to grow through trying through risk, you know, there's so much pressure to get it right, not only for your own career, but for the monolith, the box that you've been sort of placed into that you also know is much more expansive than only your single voice. And I, and I, I loved, I love that, that, that analysis that, that was shared and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you all so much again for joining us for another episode of Soul Talk. We have just one more episode left in our fall season for 2020 and we are, can't wait to share that with you. Um, we hope you all had a lovely Thanksgiving holiday if you celebrate that. 
um and we wish you a beautiful and wonderful december we will see you next time thank you for listening to soul talk Soul Talk is a branch of The Soul Project, a national theater initiative dedicated to producing the work of Latinx playwrights in New York City and beyond. Co-hosted by David Mendezabal and Joey Reyes. Edited by Ira Zacarias. You can follow us at www.soulproject.org, on Instagram and Twitter at soulprojectnyc, and on Facebook at The Soul Project. Thank you for listening.